0: My name is Jeff. I lost my eyesight in an industrial agricultural accident when I was 24 years old. My family was heavily involved in the agricultural community. It was right after lunch. I just had lunch with my mother. I was working on our industrial site in Roswell, New Mexico. I noticed the pressure gauge on my tank pegged. Then I turned and looked at my pump and I noticed it pegged. I could see the hose separating. And then the explosion occurred. It sounded like a foghorn on a ship. The next thing I know, I'm being loaded into an ambulance. It was terrifying. The unknown about what the physicians were going to do, about being in a hospital, oh, the fear was was incredible. The doctors, I remember, came into my room and they said, we're going to try to do everything that we can do for you. Are you willing to fight? And I said, absolutely. But I didn't know that it was going to be 54 surgeries of giving them my best shot. My mother and father would read the Bible to me. We started praying and just read verse after verse. So by the time the fifth or sixth surgery came along, the nurses would always come in and ask me if I'd want some Valium or something to settle me down. And on that day, I gave it all to the Lord. Once I did that, He gave me complete peace, complete comfort, and I knew, however it ended up, sighted or blind, that it was okay. After things settled down somewhat, I continued to go back to school. I graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology. I finished a Master's of Arts in Counseling. My wife Paula and I ended up getting married, and we've been married for 24 years. I mow my own yard, I cook, I'm the laundry king, I work on an old car. I believe you have to put one foot in front of the other. The only way that I could continue on was the courage that the Lord gave me. I've had so many people come up to me and say, you're so strong. If they're willing to hear, I will tell them, it is not me. I hope that I shine through by the way I live my life, by the way our family functions, that we're a shining light for the Lord. We are the church. You know, I mean, we really are. And I've been praying for a long time. How can I help your ministry, Lord? Use me. I no longer attend the church. I am the church.
1: So good. I love Jeff's story of courage because it reminds me of the bracelet that we're all wearing around that says, One Life, One Hope. And on that bracelet is printed Proverbs 28.1, which says, the, the wicked run when no one pursues them, but the godly are as bold as lions. And I love that verse because Jeff is a living example of boldness. Everywhere Jeff goes, he's sharing the hope that he has inside of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for people like Jeff. I'm also so thankful for every single one of you sagebrushers. Because you're so bold, whether you're here in person, online, or at one of our campuses, you're making Jesus known all throughout our community. And in fact, as I'm sitting around my big Thanksgiving table, eating all the turkey and everything, I'm thankful both for my family, but I'm so thankful for our church. So thankful for how God's working and moving. And over the holidays, I want you to wrestle with a question. I always start with a question. So here's my question for today. What do you have in your life that you would die for? I know that's a huge question, isn't it? You're like, I'm still in a turkey hangover right now, Andrew. I just survived driving through the Walmart parking lot on Black Friday. Why are you asking me about what I'd die for? Well, I imagine that you probably wouldn't die for your NFL football team. I mean, even if you are a raging Cowboys fan, you probably wouldn't die for your team, even when they're good like this year, okay? You might not die as well for your nice Ford or Chevy truck, an earthly possession. Though you take care of it and you treat it like it's your own little baby, you're probably not going to die for it. You're probably not going to die for your job, no matter how good your job is or whatever job you have, nor are you probably going to die for your bank account, which has been cut in half now by inflation. Thank you but you're not gonna die for those things. So what would you possibly die for? Well, I think that you might die for your family. You might die for your wife or for your kids. Now we just had Thanksgiving, so you might not die for your extended family, (laughs) but for your immediate family, your wife and your kids, you might die. You might die for your country. You might die for freedom, for liberty, This is what I love about those who serve in our armed forces. Don't you love them? Because many of them have given that ultimate sacrifice so that we can be free. You might die for another person, right? I think about our police officers and our firefighters within our community and how they put their life on the line to protect others. These are the same individuals who would run into a raging fire to save a person. Or go into some of the most difficult of situations so that they could bring safety and so they could bring peace. But there's one more area that you might die for. You might die for your faith. Or I ask you that question. Would you die for your faith? See, that's the question that I've been wrestling with now for the past couple months as I've been thinking about this talk. And here's where I keep coming back to. Until you find something worth dying for, you're not really living. Let me say that again because that was pretty good, okay? Until you find something worth dying for, you're not really living. That's a huge statement because a lot of people give their lives for their jobs, for their possessions, for the things that they have. But do those things ever really satisfy? You see, because I find in Jesus something both worth living and worth dying for. Jesus makes this very clear in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24. Here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet to forfeit their own soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus is inviting us on a journey of a lifetime. He's saying, in me, there is meaning. There is hope. There's something worth living for. You see, Jesus knew that the things of this world, they would never satisfy us. There's no amount of wealth. There's no amount of prestige. There's no amount of power or possessions that you might be able to have That'll make you happy. True hope is found in Jesus. So Jesus gives us that invitation. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's a huge statement, right? Because back during this time, they knew what it was like to die on a cross. In fact, as they traveled around many roads, they would have seen crosses everywhere. Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be my disciple... Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Give up the ways of the world, the things that you think will satisfy you because those things will only let you down. And there's a lot of things in life that will let us down. My 10-year-old learned this very crystal clearly just recently. You see, at the Poe House, we are huge college football fans. Like, we love College football. In fact, every Saturday, you will find us watching college football at our house. And that's probably because my wife graduated from Clemson University. And it is this little tiny podunk school in South Carolina. But they have an incredible football team. And over the past few years, Clemson has been very good. So every Saturday, you'll find the Poe House, we are dressed in orange. We are cheering on the Clemson Tigers, and we love it. Now, no one likes it in my house more than my 10-year-old Jesse. He loves the Clemson Tigers. In fact, all the kid ever wears is orange. Like, he's got orange T-shirts. He's got orange sweatshirts. He loves the Clemson Tigers. Well, a few weeks ago, the Clemson Tigers played Notre Dame, and it was really, really bad. I mean... Yes, the few of you who love Notre Dame. Thank you. But they got shellacked by the University of Notre Dame. I mean, at one point, it was 28 to zero. And Jesse was so sad. I mean, he is crying alligator tears. He is running throughout our house, slamming doors. He is so upset. What happened? My son's team let him down. Now, you Denver Broncos fans, you need to encourage my son because you know what it's like to be let down by your team, okay? But Jesse got let down, and that's what happens, right? Now, in my son's very short lifetime, he's only seen Clemson lose about five times, which they lost this weekend, and it was heartbreaking as well. But he's only seen them lose a couple times, so he got let down by his team. Yeah, Here in this world, you're going to have lots of things that let you down. Your job will probably let you down. The economy might change. You might actually lose your job. Your possessions might let you down. All that stuff that you bought on Black Friday is probably going to end up at somebody's garage sale, if we're really honest. And if you own a truck in Albuquerque, it's probably going to get stolen at some point, okay? Your possessions will let you down. Your sports teams, your hobbies, all those things let you down. Here's what I know about God. God will never let you down. Knowing and having a faith in God gives you something worth living and something worth dying for. And that's why this message is so important today. Because I find when we read the Bible and when we look at the early church, they had something both worth living and worth dying for. And because they lived that way, the whole world took notice. And so many people became followers of Christ. They lived every bit of a life that was extraordinary. They were different from others. And other people wanted what they had because of their faith in Jesus. And what we found last week was that the church was growing so fast that there was so much need within their community that they couldn't just do it by themselves as the apostles. And so they enlist some help of seven Greek speaking Jewish people who had given their life to Jesus Christ. These are guys who saw a need and they met a need, they stepped up to serve. Now, one of those guys was named Stephen. And Stephen has an incredible story. Both, he is filled with the Spirit, and he is filled with something much more. He's filled with faith. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 6, verse number 5. It says, then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So Stephen is full of the the Holy Spirit first and foremost. He is filled with the Holy Spirit, but he's also filled with faith. See, Stephen believes in something beyond what we see all around us. Now, we don't know much about Stephen's backstory, about when he met Jesus, but he probably lived in the city of Jerusalem. He probably saw that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus rose from the dead, and he comes to believe. And it could have been that he came to believe on the day of Pentecost. But when Stephen believes, his whole life is changed. He believes that God sent his son Jesus down in this world to die on the cross, so that if people believed, they could have that gap bridge between us and God. We could know God here in this life and in the life to come forever in heaven. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Stephen is living out these truths for all the city of Jerusalem. They're seeing that there's something different about these guys Because they're sharing about the kingdom of God. And because of that, here's what happens to the whole city of Jerusalem. It says this in verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So now there is this movement of God taking place in the city of Jerusalem. So many people are coming to Christ, and it's not just regular people, but now the priests are coming to Christ as well. Now, you would think that the people would be excited about what's going on, but many of the Jewish people were threatened by the amount of people who were coming to Christ. Here's what it says in verse 8. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it's called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But I love what it says here. It says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So there's a threat, Right. The Jewish people see that Stephen is preaching in some of the Greek-speaking synagogues. These are probably people that Stephen had rubbed shoulders with before, and they're angry about it. So they begin to challenge Stephen, but here's what's going on. The Holy Spirit begins to speak through Stephen. Every time he shares, God is working and showing up and moving. God was right with Stephen, and God still works the same way today. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you felt God speaking in and through you. For me, that actually happened uh, when I was in high school. When I was a junior in high school, I was at a public high school. And I still remember this one day I'm sitting in history class and my history class was taught by a man named Mr. Loftus. And Mr. Loftus must have been about six foot three. He was a huge, enormous man. And during those classes, he would do what was called barbecues. Now, it wasn't a typical barbecue with like hamburgers or hot dogs or chicken or something else. No, Mr. Loftus would barbecue students. He would give a lecture the day before, and you were responsible for taking like notes upon notes and then studying after the lecture. Then the next day, he would pick one student to stand in front of the whole class, just right where they were at, and he would ask them question after question. And if you got a question wrong, he verbally made you feel the size of a peanut. I mean, he was brutal. So this one day, I'm sitting in class, and my friend named Mark gets stood up in the middle of the class. Mr. Loftus starts asking him hard questions. But after a while, Mr. Loftus changes the conversation, and he starts challenging what Mark believes about Jesus. Now, Mark was a pastor's kid. Mark was doing the best job that he possibly could, but he just could not answer Mr. Loftus's questions. So here I am, sitting in my chair, trying to make myself look very small. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I've got to do something. And so I raised my hand, And Mr. Loftus looked at me and he said, Andrew, do you you want to answer these questions? I said, yes, Mr. Loftus, I think I can answer some of these questions. And so he said, Mark, sit down. Andrew, stand up. And so I stand up. And Mr. Loftus starts grilling me, question after question. But something amazing happens. The Holy Spirit takes over. I begin to quote scripture. I began to share things that I had learned at church. I began to represent Christ well, and I began to give a reasonable defense for believing in Jesus Christ as a junior in high school. So Mr. Loftus was getting angrier and angrier. Finally, he had that point of satisfaction where he had felt like he had won the argument. And I looked at Mr. Loftus and I said, Mr. Loftus, you've given me a lot to think about today. But here's what I keep coming back to. If you're right and I'm wrong, I've got nothing to lose. If the world wasn't created by God and there's no order to this, it doesn't really matter after I die. But if I'm right and you're wrong, then Mr. Loftus, you have everything to lose for all eternity. Then I said, Mr. Loftus, the choice is yours. He said, you can sit down. (laughs) What happened in that moment? That wasn't me. That wasn't a pimple-faced junior in high school. That was God working through me. That was the Holy Spirit showing up and speaking when I was available, when I stood up And the same is true for all of us. When we step out for Christ, you don't go alone. God goes with you and he wants to speak through you, whether it's at your school or your job or in your neighborhood. God wants to use you to make Jesus known in this world. Stephen knows that. So Stephen steps up. Now, those who are threatening Stephen, they get even more angry because they can't answer his questions. So they get the Sanhedrin which is that Jewish religious authority just fired up against Stephen. So they bring Stephen into the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was the same people who brought Jesus up on trial. They're the same ones who beat and flogged many of the apostles. So they bring Stephen in front of that same body. And they notice something about Stephen. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 15. It says this, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So they bring this guy in, right? And they're getting ready to put him on trial. What does Stephen look like? Is he upset? Is he angry? No. Stephen is excited. There's something going on inside of him. He's so filled with the Holy Spirit. He's so filled with grace. He's so filled with the power of God that they could see it on the outside. There was something different about him. What was it? It was that Stephen was so close to God. Have you ever noticed that? People who get so close to God look different from everyone else. We find that in the Bible back in the Old Testament because Moses is regarded as a friend of God. And when Moses spent time with the Lord, the Bible records That, like his countenance, his face radiated with the glory of God. And in fact, the people would take a veil and they would put it over Moses' head because his face was so very bright. What's going on with Stephen here? Stephen is so close to God, he's so filled with the Holy Spirit that people are taking notice that he's different from everyone. So, at the Sanhedrin that day, they invite him to preach. They invite him to share a message. So Stephen steps up and he shares in that opportunity. And in Acts chapter seven is the message that Stephen shared. And it's so good. Stephen starts by recounting the history of the Israelites. He starts back at the very beginning when God called the people to himself through Abraham. That Abraham had a child of promise in Isaac. Isaac got married and they had Jacob, who became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. In one of those tribes was Joseph. Joseph was taken down to Egypt. And through that, he saved not just the Egyptians, but the entire world. Now, I imagine the Sanhedrin is listening to this message that he's presenting, and they're like, huh, man, I don't see what all these other guys are saying. I mean, he is totally Jewish. I mean, he's got a face like an angel and he preaches really good. I don't know why this guy's on trial today, but Stephen is just setting them up. Stephen continues on and he turns his preaching. He begins to share about Moses, and after he gives a little bit of background on Moses, he says this in verse 23. He says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. So he starts by talking about Moses and he shares how Moses tried to step up for the Israelite people, that he tried to defend them. But the Israelites actually turn that on Moses. They use it as a way to accuse him of murder and it ends up forcing Moses out of the land of Egypt. You see, Moses' own people rejected him. After Moses gets the law, and they reject that as well. Here's what it says in verse 38. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And with our ancestors, he received the living words to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. So they reject Moses, but they also reject the law. Now, these are the same people who had just crossed out of the Red Sea. They had seen God's power at work. But what do they do? They turn back to idols. They reject the law of God in order to do their own thing. Later, Stephen begins to share how God gave them a temple. The temple was to be that place where they could commune, where they could worship God. But instead of having a real relationship with God, they traded all that for rituals. They traded all that for just going through the motions. So Stephen's setting them up. He's saying, you rejected Moses. You rejected the law. You rejected the very presence of God. Now Stephen has them right where he wants them. And he says this. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You just, you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. Oh, snap. Here is Stephen letting these people have it. He had walked through how they had rejected Moses. They rejected the prophets, and they missed it on Jesus. Jesus was the one who came in fulfillment of all the prophecies. He was the living Messiah, and they missed it. Stephen has this incredible boldness. I mean, come on. These were the same people who put Jesus Christ on the cross. But here he is. He's so bold. He lets them have it under the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that God is with him no matter what. So the people respond just as you would expect them to. They're very angry. Here's what it says in verse number 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. They're so angry, and in this moment, they want blood. They don't want Stephen to live anymore. They want to put out this threat of Stephen, and so they take him. But in this time, something incredible happens. Stephen looks up to the heavens, and here's what it says in verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So here they are. The people have taken Stephen. They're so angry. And Stephen is like, wait, hang on a second, guys. Hang on. I see heaven opened up. And I see God in heaven. And Jesus is right by his side. Stephen is there having this amazing moment with God. See, Stephen, even in that moment where he's being persecuted, is sensing God's presence, guiding and carrying him, that the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. He knows that heaven awaits regardless of what's going to take place. Well, those religious leaders, the Bible says, cover their own ears, and they begin to scream as loud as they possibly could, so they didn't have to hear the preaching of Stephen anymore. They take him outside and they take their robes and they put them at the feet of Saul. Now Saul was a member of the Sanhedrin during that time. And by taking the robes, Saul was taking responsibility for the killing of Stephen in this moment. The men take these large rocks the size of softballs. They take the rocks and they put Stephen down into a hole they hoist the rocks over their heads and they begin to stone Stephen outside of the city walls. Stephen's reaction is one that's outstanding. Here's what it says in verse number 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, God was with Stephen even down to the last moment when he took his very last breath. He knew the very presence of God. And that's where God is. God's with us when we suffer. When we go through great difficulties, he's right by our side. And look at what Stephen does. His heart isn't filled with hatred. It's not filled with trying to throw the rocks back at the people. No, it's filled with grace. It's filled with forgiveness. It's filled with love. And because of that, Stephen becomes the first person to die on behalf of Jesus Christ. He becomes the very first martyr that we have in all of Scripture. And when I read all about Stephen, honestly, for me, it's humbling because I wonder if I would go to the same level. If I would die for my faith in the same way. Faith like this, though, is attractive, isn't it? It's not fake. It's not flashy. It's real. And it's something that the world is looking for. It's not, the world's not looking for people who do lip service to God. It's looking for the real McCoy. People who live out their faith. And who would say, for me to live is Christ." And to die is great gain. The early church knew this. They understood this. And because of that, the church continues to grow, even in the midst of persecution. That's what happened back then, and that's what's still happening today. In fact, when you think about the persecuted church all around the world, I was just looking at this. Open Doors Ministry just did a recent report, and they found that there are over 360 million Christians who are being persecuted every single day. They're losing their lives, their jobs, so much more on behalf of Christ. That's one out of every seven Christians that are walking on planet Earth who are experiencing persecution. We know that some of the most severe persecution is taking place in North Korea, and also in China, and also in Iran as well. But here's the interesting thing. In China now to date, there's over 60 million Christians. Though they try to extinguish the gospel of Jesus Christ, it just keeps growing. Inside of Iran, where it's illegal to share about your faith, you could lose your life, you could lose your reputation, you could lose everything for being a follower of Jesus. Do you know that the fastest growing church, the fastest growing group of believers in the Islamic world, is found in the nation of Iran. Why? Because God's Holy Spirit is showing up. It's working. And when people see the authenticity of their beliefs, they want what we have. That's why knowing and loving Jesus to the place where you say it's worth living and dying for is so important for all of us. What happens after Stephen is a huge persecution begins to break out against the whole entire church. But many of them who gave their life would say, you know what? It was worth it. They would say in the words of the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is great gain. So what is it that we can do as a church? I want you to wrestle with this question. Is my faith really worth dying for to me? Is my faith really worth giving everything? All of my life, all of my heart, whether it costs me my dreams, my reputation, my job, my very life, would I follow Jesus to the very end? Here's what I know about Sagebrushers. I know you guys are all in. I know you want this just like I want this. So how do we get to that place? I believe we've got to be like Stephen. We've got to get so close to God that we're unshakable in our faith, that nothing is going to deter us. No persecution, no people getting upset, no struggling is going to deter us from following Jesus Christ. And then when God gives us opportunities to share, let God take over. Let him speak through you. Let him use you to invite other friends to experience the same love that we have for Jesus. I would say, too, if you get to that place where your faith is on the line, where you have to choose between living or dying, I would say experience the very presence of God, just like Stephen did. Stephen was overwhelmed that God was with him, and that's where God's at. When we suffer, when we go through great trials, God is standing right with us, carrying us. And if you do that, God will help you. As I was preparing for this message, I read about the story of George Wishart. And George Wishart was a part of the Scottish Reformation. And he lived during a time where Christians were being persecuted by Catholics in Scotland. And it was during that time that Wishart would go around and he wouldn't preach in churches because they didn't exist except for the Catholic Church. But he would go around in fields or town squares and he would share with people all about Jesus. And while he was sharing about Jesus... The Catholics didn't like this. In fact, on one occasion, there was a Catholic priest who tried to stab George Wishart. But George grabbed the, grabbed the knife and took it away from the priest. Now, the people who were standing around him, they wanted to hang the priest right there in the moment. But Wishart offered forgiveness, love, and tenderness. Months later, the Catholic church put... Wishard on trial and convicted him of heresy. And the punishment for heresy was being burned at the stake. They take George Wishard out on the day that he was to be burned at the stake and George comes up on the platform and he gets down on his knees and he begins to pray for the people who are persecuting him. He begins to pray that the message of Jesus Christ would go out And the man who's supposed to execute him, he falls on his knees and he begs for forgiveness. Well, Wishard, seeing this take place, leans down and he kisses the man on his cheek. And he says, I give you this as a token of my forgiveness with all my heart. Then he says, do what you must do. And Wishart dies that day by being burnt at the stake. But the result of Wishart dying, along with those other Scottish reformers, was that the entire nation of Scotland was reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Wishart, along with Stephen, found something worth living and something worth dying for. And that's what we have to find, friends. If we want to escape ordinary, it takes us realizing that our faith in Jesus Christ is both worth living and dying for. So let's be bold as lions, friends. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that your spirit still speaks. And even through this message, God, I feel your presence. And I feel you showing up pray, God, for the ones who are with us who may not know you, Jesus. That, God, they might have their life filled with your Holy Spirit. That you would fill them with a the love. That you would fill them with grace. That you would fill them with your power to overcome no matter what the evil one throws at them. I pray, God, that you'd move them closer to you. I pray for the ones who've been on the fence. For the ones who've settled for an ordinary life. That, God, today might be their wake-up call that, God, they would find in Jesus, your son, something worth living and something worth dying for. I pray, God, that you would awaken them to the truth and, God, that you would compel them, compel them, Lord, to take a next step in following you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.